someone that comes in for the night, a foreigner. You're not one of us. You've come into the midst, but you're not really one of us. And don't you find yourself exactly like that amongst the ungodly and the worldly of, of this generation? You find that you can't fit in. Why? Because you start to think differently. And because you think differently, what they're saying doesn't make sense. And if you open your mouth, you're going to contradict, you're going to go contrary to their statements, words, and ideas. And then they think you strange. Where did you come from? Where were you born? Where did you get those ideas? And it all comes, of course, from sober living, from the reality of the truth. And this is where the reproach of the world comes. And it's unavoidable. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher, and it is a privilege to bring you the message of the gospel day by day. And we thank you for joining with us, and I trust that you are finding these programs a help to you in your own Christian life. Now, of course, we want to hear from you and to know that you're tuning in and that you're encouraged by them. So make sure you get the address for our website, our email, and our mailing address, and of course, the information concerning our webcasting. We do webcast our church services from our church here in Cloverdale, and each Sunday at 10.30 and 6, you can join us on your computer to join with us here in our services as we minister God's Word live from our church, Sundays 10.30 and 6 p.m. And today, as we bring the message, we trust that you will stay tuned and be encouraged. First Peter 4, 7 is our text, part two of the message on Christian sobriety. Well, that seems like a almost a foreign word these days, to be sober. Well, it simply means to be wise, and we discovered that yesterday as we looked into this message. And I hope you'll stay tuned with us right through today. Now, let me read to you a few of the verses to get the context of what Peter is saying here in this passage. It says, Wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. For for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober, and watch unto prayer. And above all things have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Now here the Apostle Peter is writing to fairly young Christians. These are first-generation Christians who are getting the, the very basics of how to think, how to act, how to worship, how to communicate with one another as Christians, and how they should live the Christian life. And of course, this written here for us in the Bible is a model for us, that we are to take our cue from how the Apostle taught these Christians to live, worship, and interact with one another. And I hope that you can learn today as we come to this message. We're looking at verse uh, 7, where it talks about, Be ye therefore sober, and watch unto prayer. Every Christian is to be a watching Christian. We're to be on guard. We can never afford in this sinful world to let our guard down. The devil is busy. 
enemies appear. There are those who will oppose and contradict the gospel. And we are to be on guard. Be of sober mind. May the Lord minister to your heart today as from the pulpit of our church, we let the Bible speak. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. So it's undoubtedly the way we think. It's the state of our mind. We're not to think highly about ourselves, but to think soberly. It's a part of our process of the mind. The next text is Titus chapter 2 and verse 2. I probably would have done you a favor if I have said earlier, keep Titus uh, a marker right in Titus. We'll be back. Well, Titus 2 verse 2. And we have this word to men who would be elders in the church, men who are to be spiritual leaders, that the aged men be sober, sober, grave. Now, the word sober in that context, if you have a little uh, marginal input there, is the word vigilant. Vigilant, watching, sober, is the state of your mind of watchfulness. And that applies to the men. And you'll notice right before that, but speak the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober. You see the connection here. Sound doctrine, be vigilant, don't let down your guard. And so this word sober is very connected to truth. Titus 2.4, here's a reference to the women, that they may teach the young women to be sober. Now, in my Bible, without even going to a concordance or anything, right in the reference margin of my Bible, there's a little number that goes from the word sober, and it says wise. Teach the young women that they be wise. So, uh, consistently in the Bible, we see here this word sober is used over and over, and it's connected to the state of our mind. Sobriety is related to wisdom and the application of wisdom. Then verse 6, you have the young men. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. Sober-minded. And again, in my Bible, there is a reference to the word discreet. But the very fact that it says sober-minded, to be careful in how they decide, how they think, how they live according to God's truth. Now, please note that Paul did not say to Titus, this young pastor, tell the young men to go and sow their oats, have a great time, enjoy the world, and then come back and join the church. Not for a moment. He said, the young men, you are to be sober-minded in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. You see, the young men, or even teenagers, they, through the power of the cross, through the power of the gospel, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, are enabled by God's grace to live godly, soberly, wisely, as a pattern, an example. And it was Paul's word to Timothy, be thou an example. Let no man despise thy youth. And if you're a young Christian here tonight, you can be an example even to your parents. It's not the first time that has happened. 
that young people get a grasp of truth and they lead their parents or they lead their seniors into the truth. And so the meaning of the word sober is to think aright, think biblically, think godly. And we come back to our little statement that sober means to have a godly mind. Let's just test ourselves tonight. Are we living soberly? The prodigal lives riotously. He wastes. He is a scandal. He throws away everything that's going for him. But the godly, sober-minded Christian is going to be walking according to God's will and doing his will. We could say then, a Christian thinks differently. A Christian thinks differently. And because a Christian thinks differently, he will act differently. This is a battle for your mind, a call to sober living. Don't live in abandonment, riotously, prodigally like the world. Live soberly. That brings the reproach of sober living. And I'm going to go back to verse 4. Uh, and I can't really apologize for going back to something I, I alluded to last week because I think that it's so important and so vital here that once you think differently and you live differently, what will the world think? Well, they're going to call you strange. And that's what 1 Peter and 4 verse 4 tells us right here, that they counted strange. Now, I did a little bit of study on the word strange, and I discovered that they will count you as uh, it is to deal with lodger, someone that comes in for the night, a foreigner. You're not one of us. You've come into the midst, but you're not really one of us. And don't you find yourself exactly like that amongst the ungodly and the worldly of, of this generation? You find that you can't fit in. Why? Because you start to think differently. And because you think differently, what they're saying doesn't make sense. And if you open your mouth, you're going to contradict, you're going to go contrary to their statements, words, and ideas. And then they think you strange. Where did you come from? Where were you born? Where did you get those ideas? And it all comes, of course, from sober living, from the reality of the truth. And this is where the reproach of the world comes. And it's unavoidable. We have to accept tonight that the reproach of the world against a Christian who thinks soberly, who has a godly mind, who depends on the Bible for truth and filters that through his own life and situation, you are going to be contrary to the world. That's why James said that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. It was always that way since Cain and Abel, and it will always be that way until the Lord returns. But the modern church, the modern contemporary Christian has got a new idea. Let's, let's unite the two. Let's be a Christian and love the world at the same time. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. What happens is, instead of the church influence in the world, the world 
influences the church and the church is dragged down and the godly biblical truth is despised and the preacher is told, don't preach on sin this Sunday, go easy now. Don't speak out against the world. Don't go to passages where you're going to be forced to speak about things that God says are evil but will offend the worldly-minded in our midst. And the preacher in these churches ends up in an impossible situation. And it depends on the depth of his own conviction. If he is convicted, I need to be faithful to the book. He's going to be in real trouble. And before long, the preaching of the word is not wanted. And perhaps the idea is, if we could only have a new preacher with the modern ideas, we could make this church grow. And they probably will. And there are churches growing on those bases. And here we are tonight. We cannot boast numbers. We cannot boast of success in reaching men. But it's the inevitable of men counting us strange. I really don't know what people think as they drive up and down past our church. They get our literature. They maybe hear us on radio. And they say, oh, that's that church where that guy just really blasts sin or maybe the series on the cults. He thinks that Christianity is the only way to be saved, or that evangelicalism is the only message that will lead men to God. But that's the price we pay. It's the inevitable, and we have to accept it. If we will only come to the point where we accept it and say, God has told us, that's how it's gonna be. We're called to sober-minded living, and men will think it's strange. In other words, we'll never be the popular church in town. It's not going to happen. And if you live sober-mindedly at work, at school, in your neighborhood, you're not going to be the popular neighborhood person. Men will think it's strange. They'll wonder what happened to you. That's the inevitable. Now, there's a couple of verses I wanted to read, and it's 1 John chapter 3, uh, verse 9 onward, 1 John 3, verse 9. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. That means he doesn't habitually commit sin. He is now living, seeking to be victorious over sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he's born of God. That's what's strange about it. That's why it's strange. He's been born of God. In this, the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that ye should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one. Cain was of the line of the devil, the seed of the serpent and slew his brother. There's that reproach. Cain was sober-minded, godly-minded. Sorry, Abel was godly-minded. Cain hated him. And who wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. 
Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hit you. Now, I know it's not nice being hated. Nobody sets out to get themselves hated. Nobody sets out to be obnoxious. Nobody sets out to make themselves ugly. But if you're a Christian, it's inevitable. Marvel not. Don't be taken by surprise. It's going to happen. And it is really a confirmation that you've been born of God. That's the mystery. That's the wonder of it right here. And we know that we've been passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. And what a wonderful fellowship Christian brothers and sisters bring. There's no place on earth that we're more at home than with those that are living sober-minded. And we expect the church to be a group of people that are obeying the call to sober, godly-mindedness, living out the will of God. And that's where we find our fellowship. Now, I come to the motivations, and I realize time's away on me here, but I'll be as, as uh, well, I can't say I'm going to end it quickly, but I'm going to do my best to not prolong things needlessly. The motivations to sober living. Right here in verse 7, the first one is, the world is concluding. But the end of all things is at hand. Now, there are some options of what Peter might have meant. Did he mean death? Did he mean the destruction of Jerusalem? This book would have been written prior to A.D. 70 when Jerusalem was destroyed, or was he referring to the destruction of the whole world? Because that presents a problem. If the, word, the destruction of the world is now at hand, we're now living nearly 2,000 years later, and it hasn't happened yet. What then did Peter mean? Well, we have to interpret this passage, this statement, the end of all things is at hand, in the context of the, the whole book. And Peter's great theme in this book is the coming again of the Lord Jesus, the glory that is soon to come. That's much in Peter's mind, both in this book and in his second epistle. And he refers to the days of Noah, whenever the world came and men did not believe. And then that this world is soon to be burned up by fire. And that one day with God is as a thousand years or vice versa. But the end of all things is coming. This world cannot continue as it is today. Now, we have to say that in every generation, every decade, every century of this world, this world has been a very tenuous, shaky World, Think of the year that has just gone by. How many political leaders have fallen? How many nations have been in revolt? How much blood has been shed? Earthquakes, famines, floods. Now, they're all local. They are all contained to some degree. Nevertheless, these things shake the world. Then we've had the economic meltdown of so many countries that's still looming. We always seem to be just one foot away from the, the precipice of economic disaster in parts of the world. Nations that are modern, nations that are sophisticated, nations that have bought into the whole agenda of making their people 
enjoy the riches of this world are now slaves to economic poverty. Their whole economic plan has crumbled and fallen. Leaders have been set aside, and new people come along to try and pick up the pieces. Why is this? Because of man's corruption, man's greed. And as long as this world continues, we will never be free from the greed, the pride, and the corruption of men. And that's why the nations will always be in a state of ruin. I could go on in that vein, but this is one of the motives why we need to uh, realize, live soberly, live biblically, because the end of all things is at hand. Verse 5, we must all give account. There's a judgment day coming. Uh, we're told here, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? the living and the dead. We're all going to give account. Why are you two to live soberly? Why does it matter how we live? Because every word we're answerable for, every deed, every decision we make in this world day to day, we will stand before God and give account. Another motive is the devil is on the prowl. If you go to chapter 5, 8, you'll notice it says, be sober. And we have this word again, be sober. Why? Vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Living soberly is the safe life for the Christian. Living according to the boundaries of the Bible and the will of God is to be under God's daily protection and care. And therein we enjoy the help and the blessings of the Lord. Now, the other reason we get to here in verse 7 is that we may watch on to prayer. And if we're going to be men and women of prayer, we need to live soberly. You see, the riotous man cannot pray. The one who's reveling in his lusts, how's he going to pray? How's he going to watch on to prayer? When the world's against us, we need to pray more. When the opportunities to be a witness for the Lord closes down, we are called to prayer. In the first century, when Christians were being persecuted, especially during the reign of Nero, they fled to the catacombs. These were the underground caverns under the city of Rome. They were sand pits and quarries where they had dug out sand for the building of their buildings in the city of Rome. And the Christians went underground, and there they prayed. What prayer meetings, what prayer times the persecuted people of God have had. And there they learned to watch, be vigilant by prayer. And as we face the hostility of the world and the opposition of ungodly men, what can the church do? The church is called all the more to pray, to give ourselves to prayer. And prayer is the best form of watching because it keeps your eyes on the Lord. Prayer keeps our eyes on the Lord himself. It keeps us seeking God's will from the Bible. If you're going to be a prayer man and a praying woman, you'll want to get your Bible and say, Lord, lead me, teach me, guide me in my asking.
And of course, prayer tends to make us cautious. If you commit everything in your life to prayer, you'll not rush into rash, foolish decisions. There's an old adage on major decisions that you sleep on it. That means you don't rush into something. And sometimes when you sleep on a thing in the morning, you get a different perspective. Well, the Christian goes to the Lord in prayer. And the Lord can rein in our minds, our thinking, our very desires, by waiting on the Lord, watching unto prayer. I'll close with a note that the word prayer here is plural, prayers, and it means continual attitude of prayer. That's how we a sober mind, and this is to be our emphasis at every juncture in life. And perhaps as we grow older and we are less and less in the rush of life, those who may be retired, those who may be free from secular work as you were in younger years, you can give yourself to prayer as never before. And every one of us is to be watchful by prayer. Someone said that prayer ought not to be a spare tire for the Christian. And you know the spare tire that's in your car? When did you last look at it? Well, it might be months. It might be months since you've seen that spare tire. We have one that's underneath our, our Previa uh, van, and, and I don't think I've seen it for years, thankfully. Never needed it. Some people have a spare tire attitude to prayer. They only think of praying when they're like someone along the side of the lonely road with a flat wheel. And when you're in trouble, you pray. That's not what Peter's talking about. We're to pray watchfully, vigilant. And the reason is that the end of all things is nigh. We know not the day nor the hour. The Lord will come as a thief in the night. May we, every one of us, be sober-minded and obey the call to live soberly. Now, I know there's someone here tonight here saying, but there's something that I want to do. And God is against it. The Bible is against it. But I love it. And I want to go that way. Well, if you want to be a man of prayer, a woman who will live for God in communion with him, you've got a decision to make. Because that thing will hinder your prayer life. It will distract you from diligent watching. And it may be the very lust and temptation that will be the devil's tool to destroy you, to destroy your testimony, destroy your usefulness, and take you out of God's blessing. Let us heed this word tonight. It's a solemn word. It's a safe word. I trust that it is a very personal word that applies to your heart. And maybe you'll go home and pray about this time. Take this to the Lord. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca 
CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Music